Okay, hello and welcome to the Global Skiing Podcast. Today I've got uh, JF Bullio from uh, Quebec, Canada on the line. JF, welcome. Thanks, Tom. How are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. Um, so just to give everyone a bit of an idea about JF, he's a very well-respected uh, skier and coach from around the world. And uh, just to list a few of his qualifications, um, JF holds his uh, CSI Level 4, He's also a CSIA Level 4 examiner, um, CSCF coach Level 3. He's a two-time demo team member. Uh, he's ski school director of uh, Montsanan in Quebec. Um, he also attained his <laughs> full cert French certificate um, and is one of the lead trainers for Rookie Academy in New Zealand. So pretty highly credentialed, well-respected and very talented skier. So... Glad to have you here for a bit of a conversation today, JF. Yeah, I'm really glad too. Thanks, thanks for having me, Tom. This is uh, really nice, and thanks for the initiative. It's uh, really interesting, and uh, I think those discussions are going to help us to go further. And I'm uh, really glad uh, to have uh, this uh, discussion with you today. Excellent. So, I mean, uh, you've listened to the other interviews with the other two guys. Um, have you noticed? Have has have people sort of talked about uh, these interviews over from from where you're from? Has it brought about a bit more of a discussion on, you know, maybe people seeing skiing from different perspectives? Definitely, it's really interesting, like to hear those guys uh, talk about skiing, and it just makes the world a little bit more of a kind of a smaller place, if you wish. Everybody just realized that. Everywhere around the globe, people are training to get better. And it's just great to have a guy like you trying to connect uh, connect us together. I think uh, we'll raise our understanding with those discussions and we'll uh, ultimately raise our level. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so just starting uh, a little bit um, from the beginning, do you want to just give us a, a quick intro as to where, where it all began for you? Like, how come you're so obsessed with skiing nowadays? Where did it all start? When I was younger, my my father was uh, like, as a true Canadian, I was playing hockey from five years old until uh, eight years old. My father was the coach, and uh, one day my brother went on a ski trip with his uh, with his school and came back home and uh, asked my parents uh, to go skiing. So the next week. Uh, our neighbor just bring us skiing and like fell in love with it right away. It was uh, like my father asked me like at the end of that day, uh, I had to choose between skiing and hockey and it wasn't really long, honestly. Uh, <laughs> the next week, uh, my father brought uh, bought a pair of skis for me and I think like I kept them in my bedroom for a month. Like I was totally obsessed with it. And honestly, I'm still a little bit like that. So it's just good to uh, just good to chat with uh, some guys like you and uh, like uh, chat with Riley uh, a couple of uh, months ago, and uh, hopefully uh, like uh, talk a little bit with Paul by email. But hopefully, we'll get to uh, talk about skiing a little bit together. But it's so nice to mm. be able to to exchange with uh, with people like you and uh, like these guys. Yeah. So. Um, on that question, what what have you found 
has maybe opened up some new doors or changed some thoughts in the way you look at skiing from opening up these sort of global doorways and cross um, association sort of pathways? Honestly, I think if we want to bring our, our sport further, we need to associate ourselves with uh, health professionals, mm -hmm. kinesiologists, uh, physios, uh, psychologists, uh, like guys like you who has knowledge of the human body and everything I do now that uh, like I think is giving good results has been discussed and exchanged with health professional. I think this is what we we need to do in order to push the sport. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I know you, as well as Riley, you've had a personal injury that kind of, I guess, made you take a step back and look at how you were using your body. Do you want to talk a little bit about that uh, injury? Yeah. Well, when I was 18 years old, I had uh, a bad ski crash and I, uh, I lost my spleen and uh, nearly uh, died in the hospital. And uh, <clears throat> when I got out of this adventure, I started to uh, meet some health professional and uh, started to get more, a little bit more advice on, uh, like on the ski side and on the health side. But honestly, those professional along the way really helped me to develop my skiing the right way so uh, like uh, this injury is uh, like I'm really glad to be alive this injury is following me every day like uh, it's giving me a lot of uh, problems with my back and uh, it's uh, when I ski high performance for long periods uh, like it's always uh, very taxing on the body and uh, I'm training year-round in order to be able to do a couple of turns a day at decent speed because uh, for sure like uh, my body is never 100 mm percent but those uh, those people who helped me to get better changed my life changed my health but also changed my skiing because I've been fortunate enough to be treated by an osteopath who was on the French national ski team and for sure, when she's treating me, we're always talking about skiing and everything, all the concepts she's bringing are always, like, I always try to do the relation with skiing. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with, uh, like, the kinesiologist who's following me. We have a lot of discussions about health, about uh, how to get stronger, but also how to uh, connect this on skis. Yeah, okay. So what are some... So what are some exercises, tactics, like you mentioned, all year round you're working on this sort of stuff so you can get out there and ski, I guess, safely and, um, and happily without pain. What are some of the things, like is there a routine you do every day um, that helps keep your body in good shape? Yeah, like uh, the first element I'm working really hard on is uh, core strength. Mm -hmm. So every day, just to make sure that uh, I uh, 
like engaging the core properly and making sure that uh, this area is nice and strong. It's the anchor. It's the middle of the body and it's where everything starts. Mm -hmm. The second element I'm working a lot, uh, I, I discovered the foundation training, which is uh, like a, a bit of yoga moves and uh, a lot of decompression of the spine and a lot of stretching of the posterior chain. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, another element that really helps me in order to stay, uh, stay healthy. Yeah. On my side, I'm quite a stiff guy. I really need to improve uh, stretching. Mm -hmm. So I'm using that foundation training uh, in order to improve my flexibility. It's the only way I can improve the strength is by increasing the flexibility. Yes, yeah, they go hand in hand. And so, I mean, for some people listening, I think there's still um, perhaps a view of the core of your body being um, just sort of the abdominals. But do you look beyond the core being just the sort of the abdominals, that, that look of, you know, a six pack and that sort of thing? You mentioned the foundation training. Do you, how do you view your core um, as the anchor? Uh, in fact, this is part of a discussion that we've had together a couple of weeks ago. And uh, like for sure, I'm trying to, uh, it's 360 degrees, like the core, it's not the front side or the back side of your body. And uh, I really try, like I've discovered that all my posterior chain needs a lot of stretching and a lot more work in order to achieve the work I've done a little bit more on the front side of my body. Mm -hmm. So, uh, like the kinesiologist is trying to balance things out on the front side and the back side of the body in order to uh, be a little bit more functional in my movements. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'd like to hear you, Tom, on this one over here. Like, uh, maybe you can talk a little bit to, to us about what you do in order to work your core effectively. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I guess uh, in the past, I was someone that thought core strength came from just crunches and leg raises and, and everything to do with the, the front of the body, I guess, because of how um, society has shown a strong core being this image of, of strong on the front of the body. But... Um, in recent years through study and just uh, out of own personal interest and um, I've found that it is far beyond uh, just that front part of the body and so the way I train my core now is by challenging it I guess in like you mentioned 360 degrees so lots of different planes of motion um, because uh, I guess an, an interesting to think, thing to think about is when many people go and train for their sport, say skiing, say it's rugby, um, any any of those sports where you're you're moving your body in such a dynamic way, and there is no set pattern, I guess, that you can always rely that your body is going to be put through. You need to when you go to the gym and train in a different way where you're training set patterns where it's linear so you are just doing things like squats or 
lunges in a front plane movement. So you're just training your body to be strong in certain lines of movement rather than kind of flow, rhythm, random um, movements. Then your body, you're not really cross training for that for that particular sport. So when I try and train my core for all the activities I love doing, skiing, kite surfing, rock climbing, then I try and figure out where where does my body or where does my core perhaps not trust my limbs or the extremities of my body to go to. So say, for instance, I'm standing um, centered, balanced on both feet, and then I just pick up my left foot, so I'm completely balanced on my right, and say my body doesn't really understand how to balance or the space it's in when my um, the center of my body moves say on a clock face to to 130 so diagonally forward and right staying on that right foot just for instance so say I move my core in that direction and I find I'm unbalanced there then I spend some time trying to figure out why where where in my body is that imbalance coming from is it my ankle joint is not used to allowing my core to move in that direction because perhaps an old injury or perhaps even you know rock climbing uh, my my pinky toes been squeezed in this rock climbing shoe for the last you know week and so it's it's sore there so i need to do some work to get my body comfortable moving in that forward right direction and you know perhaps on my left foot it's it's the opposite it doesn't like me going um in say uh what would it be six, six 7.30, kind of moving my core in, in that direction for whatever reason. So I use things such as a, a slack line, um, just balancing on on all sorts of objects, sidewalks, so I can even do it when I'm walking to work, all that sort of things. I'm just trying to find all the, the angles and variations I can put my body in, figure out where I'm not that comfortable with, and then work on training my body to be able to move in that direction and for me that that's where I start to feel my core strength come on because I I think the core is important but I think the whole the whole body is really important so yeah and when you start looking beyond that so focusing on training individual parts of your body so not not doing that but then seeing how those the, those parts form a whole then I think you really start to be a lot more free in the way you train and the way you move and you don't feel as though you're confined to certain movements so for instance in the gym you're you're doing squats and you've been told by your trainer to always keep your knee inside of your second toe so it doesn't so uh, sorry just in line so it doesn't track inside of your second toe um, because you know that could cause knee injuries, but if that if that sort of psychology stays with you, so if you're always afraid of your knee going inside of your second toe, then your body will, you know, when when that naturally needs to happen, say in a ski turn, you're turning right and your your left knee needs to move a little bit inside the second toe to engage that inside edge. And your brain is going, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. Then so you move from somewhere else, so perhaps the spine or the neck or wherever it is or, or 
you know, to to stop that happening, then you can. Um, that's when I think you can do some damage rather than having the freedom of oh, I can put my body in any position and know that I'm, you know, comfortable with it because I've trained all these different variations. Because it's amazing how how powerful the brain is. You tell it something or or a previous experience like your injury of, of your spleen and whatever muscles you know were around where that when that operation happened where you know they they cut in and did some work then they're going to hold some kind of memory to do with the pain and that and that trauma and then not your brain is not really going to allow you to move into that area and that space because of that associated trauma and it's and it's all up in the head and so if you can start to train that and and get your brain to understand to be a little bit more free and adaptable i think um that really translates to a lot more freedom and and uh fluid feeling when you're out doing whatever physical pursuit you you you're into so does that does that make sense yeah that's really interesting and it like it's uh Along uh, the lines of what I've discussed with, uh, like everybody who's been helping me so far, like uh, I try to uh, most of my uh, training in preparation for the season, uh, New Zealand season or uh, like Canada season is always outside and uh, it's playing and uh, mm -hmm. it's trying to develop things and not trying to do uh, like uh, 100 crunches a day. It's not what it's all about. No, no. Yeah, I mean, have you found there are areas, you know, I mentioned these kind of areas of unknown with your body where, you know, someone, maybe a personal trainer, the osteopath goes, okay, see if you can do this movement and almost there's a disconnect. Have you found that? Uh, definitely. Honestly, yeah. uh, everybody who's been uh, working with me, they are asking myself, like, uh, they're really surprised how not flexible I am. And I'm really, uh, I, I'm not really uh, like uh, able to do the movements they're asking, and I'm working hard on it because I know that those movements are gonna take my skiing to the, another level. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is why I'm. Uh, they have all my attention. Yes. So you know, we talked um, a little while back about this idea of tensegrity. Yes. What's your uh, thoughts on this idea of tensegrity? Honestly, uh, it's been, I've discussed this with a few people uh, around and uh, honestly, I think it's a very, very interesting concept and I've been trying in my skiing to use a little bit more my whole body uh, to create the balance versus isolating certain parts mm -hmm. and I start to understand a little bit more now that uh, there might be a, a piece of the puzzle that is not on the sweet spot yeah. but it might be a result of something like uh, not in the area where you would like to work on very often and this is after like a couple of discussion we had together uh, it's uh, I, it, you really got me thinking, and I'm like I always look forward to our discussions because I'm always learning a lot. Mm -hmm. 
I guess for people who don't know, this um, this idea, tensegrity, is sort of a, a mix of these two words of tension and uh, integrity. And um, like a tensegrity structure is one that um, nothing moves in isolation. So this 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 a structure is tensioned together um, through. I guess you could almost think of it like stretchy rubber bands holding um, solid firm members in place and none of the solid firm members actually touch each other they're all held in their position through the through this tension and so a basketball is a perfect example of a tensegrity type structure so you you push on one area of the basketball and the whole the whole basketball adapts to this pressure being applied on it so it will stretch and move and um, so yeah, I guess in in terms of human movement, if you think of the body as such a structure that all of the bones inside the body, if you think of them not actually touching each other, so that no bone is actually physically in contact, but is held is more held in space through all the soft tissue, the muscles, the ligaments, everything around it. So the bones are actually floating inside this tensional structure then you can understand that if you say one side of your your torso your upper torso um, you take tension out of then you would probably uh, if with this tensegrity structure idea you would have to be putting tension into the opposite side to take up that slack so you can't take out tension on one side and it just be negative it always adds somewhere else in the body. So in skiing, for instance, the, the, how much tension you've got driving forward with your outside arm or how, how little tension you have driving your outside arm forward can totally <coughs> change how easily it is, how easy it is for you to take weight off your inside ski and be completely balanced on your outside ski. So even though you could be thinking this whole time about your say your right foot turning left being completely balanced and just concentrating on the foot and the hip being in the right position and the muscles being engaged there it could be just because your your right arm up in your upper back you haven't put some tension across that to help uh, take some tension out of out of your left hip to to be able to you know balance that position on that right foot so it just it's it's just a really interesting way of looking at skiing and um, any sport in fact and thinking about it being more of this tensional balance relationship as opposed to totally isolated structures of okay if I just work on my foot how my foot's moving that'll change everything well you've got to understand that you change something in your foot the muscles working and balancing your foot and that's going to change all the way up to your neck and to your hands and so when you understand I, that yeah i ahead. think like what you're saying tom there is super interesting and it makes me think about the discussion we had about uh usain bull like the sprinter mm -hmm. like when you were talking to me about uh like when these guys sat down together and look a little bit analyze how come that guy was running so fast? Yep. And there were some, like some stuff, for example, like uh, you need to have your knee aligned with the second toe. Uh, yep. That was part of the, 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 the stuff they thought was important. 
and they ended up realizing that Usain Bolt is not doing that at all. And I think like Usain Bolt is a tensegrity model. That's a great example. The way he's using his movements to create yep. some leverage. Like, just talk to us about this uh, a little bit. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess if you're not constrained through thinking of, you know, I guess typical thoughts of how the body should move and ideally be, you know, loaded in a biomechanical way, if you're free to play with, you know, putting your body in these different positions, you may come across finding your own way of creating power and strength and um so for instance with that that discussion of usain bolt um when he comes <coughs> out of the blocks the starting blocks and he's pushing forward his um his his knee that is driving forward as it says pushing back on his left foot and his right knee is coming up forward the right knee comes right up forward and across his torso so it's almost sitting up in line with his back leg. And so Michael Johnson and one of the coaches is watching this and going, see, that's, that's wrong. He's, <coughs> he's driving his leg across his body instead of straight ahead, which is where they want to go. But what I guess, if you maybe look at, look at how he's winding up this tensional structure of his body, if he drives his outs, his, that, that right knee across the left, to the left he's actually creating rotational tension as well as fore and aft tension in his right glute and that right glute is the next muscle one of the biggest muscles that is going to fire when he plants his right foot down on the ground and and push forward so when you stretch a muscle a bit like pulling back a catapult if you pull back that muscle before it contracts it's got far more uh, contractile power than if you don't pull it back like you only pull the catapult halfway back and then let it go compared to pulling the catapult right back then um, so Usain Bolt flexing his hip which is going to stretch his glute he's also rotating his hip internally inwards which is an opposite movement to what the glute does so he's also putting rotational stretch on the glute and then he's also adducting it or bringing the, the leg across his body, which is also an opposite movement to what the glute wants to contract and do. Then he's putting this, this part of his torso that is the next part to fire and propel him forward on this maximum catapult-type loaded position. So then it's got no option but to just contract and fire him forward. And then once he's going and moving, boom, he's just... It's just this constant tension, boom, 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 loading, unloading. So what I what I hear is the guy is uh, like using uh, his body and using a lot of uh, creating levers everywhere with his body. Yep. And if we we compare to skiing, to me there's two guys who are doing this very well is uh, Henrik Christofferson when he won that slalom at the start of the season. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the guy, you can really sh 
we can really see him hitting those gates, but using the whole body to generate some power on the outside ski. Like, eh, sometimes it's to the extreme, but I am really inspired by Henrik Christofferson. Yeah, he almost, the, he almost looks like he's sort of really gracefully running down the mat, like he's propelling himself so fast forward. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, the other guy that I'm extremely impressed, like that run at the World Championship was in GS was incredible. Like it's Ted Ligeti. Like mm -hmm. he's using his body. Like it's if you would freeze frame in him, it's not always perfect, but he's using his body like from the tip of the airs to the toes. Yep. Uh, in a way that he's generating some flow and some power on the outside ski more than anybody. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm really inspired by those guys. And this is a little bit what I've been, I've been trying to play uh, in my skiing. It's not to, to look perfect, but try to use a little bit more the full body mm -hmm. in order to improve the balance motion. Yeah. So on that, have you been, are there any like exercises, drills, or is it more kind of mental imagery you're thinking of? Because I know, like, for instance, Riley's sort of, sort of playing a little bit with this, and he says he goes out some mornings and is almost like a floppy rag doll. So he's just yeah. really loose. Yeah, like that's number one. Like I totally agree with uh, Riley on this. Like number one is loose extremities mm -hmm. in order to use the extremities uh, like a whisk mm -hmm. if you wish yep but if you want to be able to use those extremities like a whisk or a catapult you need to anchor the middle of the body so like that's critical if the anchor is strong in the middle you're able to control the extremities better and to really maintain some looseness uh, with the extremities mm-hmm Excellent. So no no particular drills necessarily, but more like I'm really uh, inspiring by that uh, that concept. And I've just had a super interesting discussion this weekend with a good friend of mine, uh, Alain Dubreuil. And I'd like to have your input on this, uh, Tom. Uh, the guy is osteopath. is uh, very uh, good at what he does. And he's also like level four uh, working on... Uh, like working on his skiing and trying mm -hmm. to uh, to get better. And he had this concept about, uh, he was talking a lot about the central axis of the body. Mm -hmm. And he says he's trying to do two things. Because uh, just before that, he asked me like what I was playing with. And I was explaining to him that my goal was to ski in suspension in all the situation. And... Uh, he talked to me a little bit about this concept of the central axis. He said his goal is to make sure that uh, as the outside leg rotates in his uh, internally rotates, mm -hmm. he's trying to internally rotate the opposite arm mm -hmm. in order to create some leverage in order to suspend a little bit that central axis and ultimately bend it. So he's kind of creating some uh, like internally rotation with the right leg and internal rotation with the left arm. 
in order to suspend and improve the contact on the ski. So I'd really like to have your input on that. Yeah, right. That's um, very interesting. Um, I guess one thing that I've discovered lately um, has got to do with the, I guess, maybe more ankle and wrist, so the extremities of the, of the leg and the arm, in, in such things as walking, which um, humans, that's basic, the basic movement we're really designed <coughs> to do, you know, evolving from four legs onto two so we could walk long distances and hunt and, and travel far. So um, your same side wrist and ankle pronate and supinate or at the ankles kind of internally rotate at the wrist internally rotate and then externally rotate externally rotate at the same time so your right foot as it pronates <clears throat> your right wrist pronates at the same time if you are um, really kind of walking well and um, so yeah that's that's interesting what he's saying um, in terms of that because I guess that's what he's saying is almost opposite if I just do that at the same time um, but but then that's not to say it's wrong because perhaps at his at his arm so right near the near the at the shoulder joint it could be doing exactly what it's doing to make the wrist pronate so um, yeah, I think that's an absolutely really cool idea. And I played with a similar thing just over in Japan this time, just trying to coordinate my my arms with my legs and realize just how huge an impact it made. And um, I guess getting away from that 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 feeling of you know when you first train to be an instructor, keep your upper body quiet, keep your arms still, do not move them. And that's still very kind of ingrained, I realize. And, and even getting some video of me actually being looser and more active with moving the arms, it actually looks like they're, they're quieter and, and more still, yeah. which is uh, uh, definitely yeah, very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So if we come back to Christopherson, like uh, you look at him in slalom and uh, he's definitely not trying to be quiet with his no. upper body, like he's really involving the whole body in the turning process. And this is a little bit what I try to go towards right now, like not trying to uh, limit uh, my power by trying to uh, like uh, fix certain parts of the body. Mm -hmm. I really try to discover a little bit uh, the le the le levers levers mm -hmm. that you can uh, how you can use the body to maximize the power on the yep. outside ski yep. and I found like that central axis concept uh, from Alain Dubreuil like we've played with it uh, this weekend and honestly uh, I think there's some uh, some uh, still some testing to be done with that. And still, uh, in order to teach it properly, uh, try to come up with some external references mm -hmm. uh, in order to facilitate the learning. Like he was talking about just simply lifting the uh, inside pole off the ground as mm -hmm. you're increasing the edge. Yep. Just like just that makes a huge difference and free the body up 
to move inside and really try to uh, like it was uh, like bending that central axis a yep. lot more uh, naturally. Yep. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess along that <coughs> that idea of inside arm, outside leg. I mean, you a lot of fitness people now talk about this um, kind of posterior oblique sling, or basically from your opposite shoulder to opposite hip, so left shoulder to to right hip. You've got some huge muscles that that the fibers of those muscles run in the same direction. So starting from the top of your right, sorry, your top of your left shoulder, you've got your latissimus, the big lat muscle, which most people um, seem to focus on using in something like a chin-up. But this muscle, it goes from um, your left arm across your back into you, the the big sort of fibrous area of your lower back called the thoracolumbar fascia, which is a big, dense, very strong sort of area. So the fibers go into that part and then crosses over your spine down onto the opposite side glute, so onto the right-hand glute. So there is a complete relationship of when your right glute contracts in running or in a lot of sports, and if your left latissimus contracts, they both work as this one diagonal line that goes from one side of your hip to, to the opposite shoulder, like, like a diagonal sling, and then you've got one on the other side, so you've got this X that goes across your torso, kind of crossing right over that central axis point of the belly button. So if you're involving, yeah, if you're involving this, this X alternating, stretching or lengthening and then contracting, then you're getting this, uh, this really nice sort of whole body sort of rebound suspension action working. And when you get it across like areas such as like your Achilles tendon is another area that, that is a densely, um, densely fibered area that, uh, basically, um, you can get almost free energy out of. So rather than a muscle, but, but more like the tendon and this, this dense fascial area, when you load these dense fascial areas, someone described it to me as like a, like a resonating board. They, they load up and really sort of almost sort of as you as you stretch and load them it, they push the fibers push out against this kind of fascial tissue and load it up really like a tight drum so when when you let go it's not just muscle contraction that's helping you propel energy or movement forward but this this resonating drum feature is contracting and, yeah. and exploding so you're using that thoracolumbar fascia through these the glutes and the latissimus right in the middle there you're you're loading it and stretching it and um yeah getting that center axial point to kind of load up and, and propel you forward so yeah that's that's cool i definitely now agree with what you're saying with what um the osteopath is talking about and you know like after that, we talked about a little bit more how to make it accessible for the people because it can be a little bit uh, like technical, but uh, and in internal also. Mm -hmm. But when we just started to play with like making sure that the inside pole doesn't touch the ground, and he was even talking about like uh, kind of pointing uh, the handle mm -hmm. 
towards mm -hmm. like uh, the down the mountain if you wish just to make sure that you internally rotate a little bit mm -hmm. like all that inside arm and he was as he was telling me that like that internal rotation of that inside arm really pulls the spine up, and uh, this is the concept of suspension. Like he says, you're gonna gain some balance on that outside ski not by coming down towards the ground, but by creating a suspension. So this concept, honestly, I've been playing with that for the last couple of years, but now. I'm uh, every discussion we've had together. I realize how important it is. Mm -hmm. I'd like I'd like you just to I, describe I just, just while yeah. I was just a thought uh, something for people to maybe think about is you know when you see like Christofferson or Ted Ligety come <coughs> out of a GS turn and they have so much speed across the hill, this sort of slingshot yeah. movement, and a lot of people you know, talk about this bending the ski and and that sort of thing. And yes, bending the ski is part of it, but you can even yourself, you go and grab a ski and you flex it with your arm. And if, if you're pushing just with your arm, you can flex that ski, then even you just standing against it, it's not really going to be the ski that's really holding the load and this, this tensional energy. It's got to be coming from somewhere else and it's got to be coming through this tensional structure of your body so the more you can load every fiber the more when you choose to time the release of that the more it is gonna fire you so that's great yeah yeah that's exactly it and this is exactly what i try to play with in my skiing is like the timing of bending that body in order to feel some propulsion to uh, to connect with the with the new turn I'd like you to go a little bit deeper on your side, like skiing in suspension for you, what does it mean and how do you develop it? Oh. <laughs> right, well, um, for me, I've, like I've, this is my first summer off skiing in, in nine years. So the first time I've had quite a bit of time to, I guess, play around with some skiing type movements but not on skis so for me when I went over to Japan to ski in suspension I did a heap of <coughs> training and exercises and play in my body before I went to try and feel I guess different positions or different yeah uh, ways my body is is loaded in order to simulate how would I get out of say being in a very low compressed position which you know being in the moguls big moguls you're in after you absorb a bump so you know where where am i really feeling that i've got to be in order to get my whole body to want to pull me out of this compressed position with the least effort possible so i guess i'm playing a lot with not being on snow because i don't have snow around me but it's it really paid off um, in terms of going over and skiing in Japan. I could really feel. I just felt a lot more free, loose, not as constrained in terms of the way I should be skiing, in, but uh, but more the way I feel I ski, um, rather than than thinking it too much. So yeah, lots of training, I guess. Yeah, outside of skis, walking, jumping side-to-side -side movements, um, 
yeah, does that does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I was uh, like, I was listening to Paul uh, Lorraine's interview uh, you've done a couple of uh, uh, days ago, and uh, he was talking about that Japanese like going down as fast as he could down uh, as he could down the hill. Mm-hmm. That's really inspiring, and honestly. If uh, you want to ski at those sort of speed, you need full range of motion. And this is where you really see the power of skiing in suspension. As soon as you compress at those sort of speeds, like uh, if you try to load the ski by shortening the leg, you're just going to get yourself launched and you're going to lose no contact right away. So this is an element that I really uh, liked about Paul's interview. And that mm. really inspired me. Like the next day, for sure, I went straight down the hill and tried to ski as fast as I could. And honestly, that's what it's all about. Like, yeah. that's so fun. Love it. Yep. yep. Yeah, if you never put yourself in that position, you'll never know how to react to it, right? Definitely. So, yeah, I think that's a very cool concept. That's really pushing um, the limits of suspension in your body, for sure. And also, you know, the uh, when you ski at those sort of speed, like it tells you the truth. There's mm-hmm. a lot of ways you can ski at slower speed, mm-hmm. but at those sort of speed, there's not many ways that will work. Mm-hmm. So you, you could, uh, like, you could do anything you want on nice snow at slow speed. But uh, if you like, if I would build the perfect interski team, for example, I would make them ski with a bar. Uh, let's say they ski with 100 pounds on their shoulder, mm-hmm. and they're doing like they're skiing down the hill with that bar. Honestly, I think we would see a lot more similarities with yeah. our skiers because they need to deal with that load, and there's not 100 ways to deal with the load in yeah. a turn. Yep. <laughs> so this is why like you look on the World Cup those guys when they're turning like in the uh, pressure zone they there is less and less difference like mm-hmm. those guys are going faster and faster there's more and more similarities so uh, like I like the idea of skiing extremely fast in order to test a little bit those concepts and to get uh, good feedback from the forces. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So, I know a lot of this is high-end skiing kind of talk, but you've been out there training your instructors and CSIA instructors this season. How have you gone with perhaps playing with these different concepts? Have you found it difficult to you know, communicate what you're trying to get at or have you found that it's actually been kind of... Um, I don't know, a little bit enlightening for them to maybe think a bit outside the box? Well, I think the most important is to uh, bring the concepts progressively. So, for example, at our ski school, what we've been talking about uh, uh, in a snowplow turn, for example, is not trying to overload the outside ski and try to compress over the outside leg. I'd rather see the instructor working, uh, getting the inside leg a little bit shorter gradually 
in order to suspend a little bit the inside half of the body and mm -hmm. to create a smooth contact, a progressive contact. Mm -hmm. So what we're talking about now, which is extremely expert, uh, honestly, I'm working exactly on the same lines with a beginner in a snowplow turn, not trying to compress on the outside leg, but maintain a little bit more length on that outside leg and trying to gain, uh, try to assist a little bit the steering. I try to combine the steering of the outside leg, but a shortening of the inside leg at, this, at the same time. So mm -hmm. to me, the concept of suspension, it's at low end as much as it is at high end. Yes. Yep. Excellent. And have you, um, have you found people have responded? Have you had some, like, people have some aha moments or some... Uh... Definitely. It's, it's a lot more natural way to ski, trying to uh, get the inside leg shorter and uh, build some balance in suspension versus building some balance in compression. It plays a lot on the feeling of people. You're compressing on the outside leg. You block the action. Uh, you have a lot of this outside ski skidding a lot and uh, a lot of tension in the body. Mm -hmm. ski, skiing in suspension helps the people to ski a lot more natural, a lot freer. It's easier to gain some, uh, some flow and some rhythm. So uh, honestly, I've seen a lot of smiles and uh, a lot of good results with the Excellent. concept. I'm really, really excited about it. Yeah, I guess I've just it just got me thinking about that. Um, so this, uh, so say you're getting someone to focus on that inside leg shortening and flexing to allow the inside half to be sort of suspended. Um, if you then take the next step further of the the next turn, so say you've shortened and suspended your left leg, the next turn in order to be in a strong position to deal with forces, especially if you're starting to go faster, that outside leg is going to need to be extended to be in a strong position. So previous, exactly. if that previous turn you allowed it to suspend, then it is in a loaded position. It doesn't want to stay bent like that. Just like we don't want to stay seated all day. We want to get up and straighten out. You bend that leg before the next turn and you really bend it, then it is going to be far more active almost self-active in s extending and lengthening and 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 i guess allowing the center of mass to be much further over and inside the start of the new turn whereas if it is kind of perhaps a little stiff you're not allowing it to shorten in that previous turn then it is going to be far less likely to want to extend and travel out away from you so I, that's uh, you asked me what what things am I trying to do in suspension? I'm trying to in skiing. I'm trying to think about one step back. If I if I'm working on a particular movement, I take one step back. What would I need to just one second or half a second or you know a few meters prior to this movement? What would I need to do? How would I load the body so that it, it has no option but to do the opposite thing and move into the position I want it to be in? for that point so I go back a step and go how would I suspend it in order for it to be extended um, and get into that next position so that's really cool I think uh, as a progression I guess you could then go <coughs> to talking with the person okay now notice that this shortening that we've worked on is now really helping the next stage 
this lengthening, strong extension part of the turn. So yeah, definitely. And you know what's the beauty of what we're talking about? We're a bit of uh, like freaks sometimes. Like, but this time, what's interesting about it is we can adapt this and someone who's just starting to do snowplow turn can use the same concept of the guy on the World Cup. Mm -hmm. It's just like to bring it progressive, but it brings a lot more legged dependence. It brings a lot more suspension, precision, full range of motion, uh, <laughs> very fluid approach, no blockage. Yep. So uh, honestly, I, I see that a lot in the Japanese guys. And mm. uh, I'm quite happy to see uh, Paul uh, getting involved a little bit uh, in those technical championships because I think those guys are doing some really nice things and uh, I'm inspired, honestly, by uh, by what they do. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So i got a question for you. Um, so if you could have <coughs> tomorrow your ideal day of ski training, how would it look like, you know? you'd get up would you what would you do what runs would you do would you do some exercises uh like how how would it go the ideal day it's funny <laughs> it's funny you ask that because you know i've been working in this industry for quite a while now and you know what i told my girlfriend lately is hey it would be so nice to go with a bunch of friends skiing powder with fat skis and just having fun and skiing and laughing, that would be the perfect day for me, honestly. <laughs> as much as uh, everybody who knows me know I really love technical stuff, but I've never had a ski holiday in powder with friends. And honestly, I, I got to admit, I was a little bit jealous when I saw your pictures from Japan. I said, wow, honestly, I would really like that. For sure, I'm from Eastern Canada, so... Like, uh, it's a little bit harder snow and uh, we're uh, always skiing with uh, a bit narrower skis. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's always uh, tempting to ski uh, on softer snow a little bit. And uh, skiing powder with a bunch of friends, there's nothing like it. Yeah, <laughs> good, good response. Um, <laughs> so, I guess uh, we're probably getting close to the hour mark here. We should probably wrap it up. And what I was thinking... If you could give some advice to, you know, some budding instructors, budding technical skiers, people really trying to work on breaking through that next level, what would it be? Uh, I would say ski with your heart, teach with your heart, and try to test stuff, ask questions, stay open-minded, and don't just try to repeat what you've been told and try to make up your own mind and try to be part of what's coming next a little bit versus just trying to listen to uh, what the trainers say and take it for granted. Test it and come up with your own solutions. I think it's uh, a lot more exciting. This is what I've been doing for the past few years and uh, now I get to exchange with uh, guys like you, which I appreciate so much. So I think uh, it's just to be a little bit more uh, 
like uh, take responsibility a little bit for your development. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's a lot more a lot more fun this way. Excellent. All right. Any uh, any final things you wanted to say in this podcast before we wrap it up? Well, honestly, like we said, you've been uh, it's been nice. Like those discussion, like uh, have been really nice. I really enjoy, and uh, I hope we'll keep doing it. And mm -hmm. this one is on tape. But uh, like uh, I had a nice plan and I didn't talk about anything from my plan. So <laughs> let's chat another time. And uh, like it's always, always good to, uh, to exchange with you and really appreciate it. Yeah, excellent. Well, thanks very much for your time, JF. And um, yeah, we may have to reschedule another talk in the future. <laughs> thanks a lot, Tom. Some of you may already know that I've been advising Carve and working with the team for some time now. And this year, the team has come up with probably some of the most exciting developments to date. They've been working on representing the most fun parts of skiing in their system. They've developed three brand new metrics, progressive edging, early weight transfer, and one that measures the G-force in a turn. And that one, I have to say, I got to try it out this winter in Australia, and that is really fun. This new addition is going to be incredible for anyone who's looking to really push their skiing up a notch. Now, what's even more interesting for this year is the system now detects what terrain you're on and pulls that into your Ski IQ score. This is a huge change and a great upgrade because sometimes it would only really score well if you were skiing on perfectly groomed snow. Now it's going to accommodate and adjust whether you're skiing in steeper slopes, more chopped up snow, or firmer snow. So this is a very big change that I think is massive kudos to the team to keep pushing and progressing the app even further. If you're the kind of skier that is looking for a tool to help push your technique that little bit further, then you should definitely check out what Carve can do. Use the code GELLIE15, that's G-E-L-L-I-E-1-5, to get 15% off for the next two weeks.